As companies explore artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT, additional legal questions are popping up, but we're also finding out that the legal industry itself is exploring these tools. We're going to talk about new ways that lawyers are using AI tools on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Joining me on the show today is Paul Lopez. He is a labor and employment attorney with South Florida-based Trip Scott. Uh, Paul has more than 30 years of experience in commercial litigation and advises business owners and HR executives about compliance regulation on labor and employment laws. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me, Keith. Good to be with you. Yeah, Paul, we've got a we've got a, a, a news hook to talk about in the world of ChatGPT, especially. Uh, there was this story that came out uh, a few weeks ago about a, an attorney that was using ChatGPT uh, to do some research for a brief, but then, and that sounds good enough, but then he got in trouble because he forgot to verify the cases that ChatGPT had given him, and it turns out that the, the AI was making up uh, some of these things. Uh, so you're familiar with this case, right? Uh, we yeah. are, yeah. No, we, we paid very close attention to it because, you know, one, one of my other hats that I wear around here is um, I happen to be the managing partner of my law firm, so we are trying to be very sensitive to you know the the pros and the cons of how this chat GPT can be used, and this was obviously a glaring example of what the what the pitfalls are of using chat GPT and then just strictly strictly 100% relying on it without actually double checking the references and the case sites and some of the things that chat GPT included in this guy's brief. So yeah, this was a a, a cautionary tale. Yeah. Um, chat GPT and, and what what exposure and what problems it can create for you. Yeah, when we were talking before the show, this was a, a few weeks ago and uh, before we were going to, uh, initially we were going to do the show, the news hadn't come out about this yet. And one of the discussions that you and I had uh, ahead of, of, of this uh, episode was, you know, how is, Ch is chat GPT being integrated into law firms? And I think one of the things you said, and you could still say, obviously you could still say that this is being used for, but was for research purposes of kind of finding existing case law and things like that. Um, but in this case, you, you know, it was surprising that ChatGPT came, basically came up with fake cases. And um, did, does that put a chill on, on the use of ChatGPT, uh, you know, at, at, at your law firm or at other law firms when you talk to other lawyers? I, I think 100%, um, Keith, because look, what, what this is a perfect example of why you as a lawyer you know, it, it, it can it can definitely serve as a great tool to get you started, right? It can find so much information so quickly. Yeah. It definitely can help you with being efficient as a lawyer and maybe getting you on the right trail of an argument and maybe finding some, you know, treatises or cases. Um, but you as the lawyer still, as the human being on the file, right, you have to go double check that those case sites and that those propositions of law are correct. If you do what this guy did in New York and just simply, you know, press the button, have a brief submitted <laughs> with all this case law that was bogus case law. Yeah. I mean, now this guy's facing the, the the ire of the court and frankly, the embarrassment of being exposed for, you know, frankly, just being lazy. Right. I mean, he just pressed a button, had a brief submitted. He read it. It sounded great. It looked great. I'm sure it was very persuasive. And then all of a sudden, only to find out none of the cases were correct. 
<laughs> so, wow. I mean, let's talk about some major exposure to him and perhaps his law firm. I, I remember when, when ChatGPT first came out, there were a lot of discussions about, about students using this in sort, of, in sort of research papers. And a lot, what a lot of students were doing was the exact same thing. It was basically they were asking a question. Uh, it spit out um, some text. And then they didn't read the text. And, you know, that's how they were being caught almost it's not really plagiarism, but, you know, sort of getting caught by their teachers. Like, I'm amazed that this guy just didn't do research and, and double check all of these case files. Um, and again, maybe it's because he just thought, well, they, they, it's an AI. It must be using real, real case law. Uh, you know, again, we're, well, that's, that's, we're, that, that's the scary part. Yeah. The, the, the scary part is that as I read that article and, and, you know, kind of the gist of it was, that the brief was so well written and so persuasive that this guy assumed that the case sites were accurate yeah. and were correct. But obviously, the, 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 this algorithm and this program is so powerful that, you know, again, it makes stuff up. I mean, just to, to persuade the reader of a particular position. So, again, you know, it's one of those things when it came out last year and we started looking into, you know, what is this all about? How can it be used? Can it help? And, and look, there's no doubt. Can it help in connection with some of the grunt work of the law, right? Some of the initial research, right. some of the initial finding some authority for a proposition. But again, then the lawyers got to go verify that, hey, those cases are legitimate cases, right? Yeah. They say what ChatGPT is saying they say. And, and that's the job that we lawyers all have. We have to cite cases, make sure they're cited for the proposition we're citing them for. So, look, you know, what I do with my associates, for example, you know, if they send me a brief and I review the brief, many times I'll do some spot checking of the cases just to make sure mm -hmm. that the case says what they say it says. That's what you got to do with ChatGPT if you're going to use it as a research tool. You got to double check it. Yeah, yeah. In the in the world before ChatGPT, can you sort of give us a quick rundown of of what technology you know lawyers at your firm? Sure. You, you know, how do you guys you know you know use technology? Because obviously there's web based search and, and other apps like apps and things like that. Just kind of give us a rundown on on how you use technology. Yeah. So, so, so most law firms like ours are going to have either one of two software platforms that they use for research. You either have Westlaw or LexisNexis. Okay. Right? Both, of those, both of those platforms allow us not to have these huge libraries of books that we all used to have, you know, 30 some odd years ago. We've had all these volumes of treatises and law books that had all these cases we had to like pull from the shelf, you know, photocopy them. That's what we used to have to do. Now Westlaw and LexisNexis are wonderful research tools that if you know how to do searches within those software platforms, that's how you find case law, um, secondary materials, scholarly articles in, in connection with a particular legal topic that you're looking into. So that's the old way, right? Mm -hmm. That's the traditional way that we've been doing it. And we still do it that way. What's, what's somewhat scary about ChatGPT, to be honest, is that because it has access to all of this vast amount of information that's on the internet, it literally can do some of what Westlaw and what LexisNexis can do for us as lawyers, and it does it on its own. But again, the New York case is, a, again, a great example of the fact that what this guy did, he didn't just use it to go find some, you know, maybe some controlling precedent. Mm -hmm. He actually did to prepare a brief and with case sites, which were fictional case sites. Right, right. So, 
that just made it up out of the ether. It's like if an associate had just made stuff up and gave it to me in the brief and I started spot checking and I couldn't find the cases. Same same thing. Crazy. Hey, yeah, if you wanted to cast a lull over the, the use of, of AI in, in a particular industry, I mean, there's your example right there of, of what not to do. Uh, because it, it felt like it, you know there was momentum for this technology and now everyone's going to look at this and going, there's no way I'm going to use this. And so, you know, I, I know that you, you, know, you said that you could still use it for research um, as long as you're double checking on all of the things that it spits back out at you. Um, but are there some other other areas of, of the law that, that you think that some of these tools could could be helpful with? I could give you a couple sure, of examples exactly. if, you, if you don't if you you know I was going to ask if you're using this to like write, write emails, for example. Well, so let me give you some examples yeah. that I'm hearing some of our lawyers in our law firm. you know we have about 50 plus lawyers here in South Florida and we've got practice areas in all different areas. So we have, mergers and acquisitions, we have contract lawyers, we have probate and estate lawyers, we have wills and trust lawyers, right? So what I'm hearing from many of my partners and some of the associates is that sometimes if you wanna just get a quick start on finding a template Mm -hmm. or a particular, let's just say a, a particular type of will or a particular type of trust or a particular type of purchase and sale agreement, you know, ChatGPT can point you in the right direction. And even more specifically, you know, we have all the forms, right? We, we do thousands of these transactions over the last 50 plus years. Right. So we have a lot of forms. But sometimes, you know, what I'm hearing is you'll need a particular clause that you haven't used in a long time. And you plug into the software app, hey, uh, find this force majeure clause or find this uh, integration clause or some clause that you need for a particular document you're working on. ChatGPT can find it really quickly. It can give you uh, that type of a clause. And again, you can't just take it verbatim. Right. You're going to have to take the clause and it might be a good start. And then we as the lawyers are going to wordsmith it, edit it, and make sure that it conforms to whatever document we're working on. So I am seeing a lot of that, Keith, where it's a good starting point sometimes on some obscure things that maybe you need to find really quick. but again, look, the practice law remains the same. Um, you still have to use your experience. You have to use your expertise. You have to use the wisdom of your approach to certain problems that ChatGPT clearly doesn't have that ability at this point. Maybe it'll get there in its 10th iteration, but right now it's it's basically, let's call it, it's almost like a computer net of just assembling information and finding information for right. you. But as far as being able to, you know, work through nuances and work through um, tricky and and prickly issues that are inevitably going to come up in, you know, whether it's plan, you know, estate planning or a purchase and sale agreement or a non-compete covenant, for example, restrictive covenants. Those are things that the lawyer is still going to have to put, you know, kind of put the visor on and, and figure out what's the right language. Right. But again, let's not let's not understate it. It is a good resource that can be used to help and make us more efficient, which frankly is something we can then hopefully then transmit to our clients by not having to spend as much time trying to dig up things, if you know what I mean. Right. Well, does that does that then endanger the use of billable hours by by laws or by lawyers and, and firms, or does that is that not something that's being considered? No, I, I think Keith, where where I can see that being more of a real issue is you know you have younger associates generally do a lot of the let's call it the 
grunt work, so to speak, yep. oftentimes helping the partners out on, on, on deals and or litigation projects. So, you know, can it, can it reduce billable hours? Yes. And I think it might. Um, but by the same token, that's not the worst thing right. because what you want, what clients want is they want efficient, fast, you know, services. And if you as a law firm are able to, you know, use this type of technology, whether it's chat GPT or some other software platform that allows you to be quicker, faster, more efficient, you know, your clients are going to appreciate it. And frankly, for the long-term health of the, of the, of a firm, that's a good thing. Right. 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 So yes, it might cut into billable hours and maybe, maybe at some point, you know, the model that we currently have of billable hours, and budgets and so forth, maybe it's going to change in the years to come, especially as for, especially as to like the younger lawyers, you know, the, the, the one to three to four, five year lawyers mm -hmm. that do a lot of the support work for partners on files, maybe their billable hours are going to be less. Maybe their compensation model is going to be a little different and maybe not as tied into billable hours because these software programs are going to enable us not to require them to bill so many hours. Right. Uh, and then maybe there's just a different compensation model. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've also seen the rise of some of these web apps and, and sort of internet sites. Uh, I think I've heard some of them being advertised on the radio of like, you know, if you need a will or if you need a basic contract or if you're starting a business, you don't have to then sort of go to a, an attorney to, to draw up a lot of this stuff. And you can just go to the website and, you know, they'll, they'll prepare a, a will for you for 50 bucks or 100 bucks or things like that. Yeah. I've, I've got my doubts about some of these services, but do you yeah. see that, you know, do you see that sort of chat GPT or AI being integrated into these tools and that maybe a, a non-legal, a non-lawyer a non could eventually use some of these, uh, you know, to so, either generate contracts or basic, basic legal things so that they wouldn't have to pay a, a more expensive lawyer? So look, that's a great question and it's a valid observation. Um, <laughs> You know, I, 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 like you, I'm still a little bit leery of those types of things yeah. because you know, the adage of you kind of get what you pay for, that's sometimes what you see with these types of websites that offer these, you know, like $100 contracts or $100 or $50 wills. You know, if you think about that, you know, at the end of the day, if it's an important enough document, whether it's a contract for the purchase and sale of a business, yeah. a contract for an employee, a will, a trust, things that are important in your life, I, I certainly think we're still, we're still not at a point where I would recommend that anybody rely, unless again, economically, they can't afford to hire lawyers. And that is the best, that's the best that they can do. Mm -hmm. uh, I still would recommend trying to find at least a lawyer to provide some guidance and making sure that whatever that document is that you're getting from this website platform, um, that it's going to fit, fit the bill, so to speak. Right. You know, you know, it's not an assembly line. The practice of the law is not an assembly line. You know, people's needs are different. People's lives are different. And you have to kind of make sure that everything is somewhat tailored to their particular needs. That doesn't mean we have to reinvent the wheel every time, but it does mean that you have to pay some attention and understand a client's particular needs. Because there's some things that, again, ChatGPT or any of these software platforms that may be coming down the, the road, they're not going to know what they don't know about the particular client's needs. And that's where the lawyer, I think, becomes really invaluable. And, and, and look, do I have a bias because I'm a lawyer? Of course I do. Yeah. But being, being objective and trying to really you know, provide a straight message to your listeners, I think the reality is 
that what lawyers do and the reason that lawyers charge what they do, it's not because they just crank out forms and have clients sign them. Right. It's because they prepare a form and then they ask the right questions to make sure that the issues are being taken care of appropriately and that there's not some major issues that are being missed. And that's kind of where the important part of a lawyer still is. And I, and at least at the moment, I don't think there's any technology that's going to that's going to be able to cover that. Yeah, I, I'm almost embarrassed to ask this question because it just feels like we're never going to get there. But could the next step of artificial intelligence be, a, you know, sort of a quote unquote robot lawyer that comes in mm-hmm. and, and makes an argument for you? Uh, if you're maybe if you've gotten a traffic ticket and you're not you're not eloquent when you go to the court, you know, to, to mm-hmm. argue in front of a judge. Um, right. You know, I, there were some apps that were sort of advertised when ChatGPT came out it was like oh you know you can have a, a lawyer in your pocket type of a thing and you could you could right. you could have the AI argue for you have you sort of tested this out in terms of like ChatGPT's ability to argue a case or are we just so far beyond like the, there's no critical thinking going on that you know and and even if even if the AI was good enough I can't see a judge allowing this at all in a, in a courtroom situation yeah, I mean, look, here's what we're seeing. It seems to us that, you know, certainly ChatGPT, just like this New York, New York lawyer experience, mm-hmm. you know, it can definitely put together an essay or an argument, right? It, it can make a forceful argument, and it's really, you know, somewhat somewhat almost appalling that it can make such a interesting argument that looks like it's cogent, it looks like it's logical, mm-hmm. it's persuasive, et cetera. So, you know, Right now, do I think that anybody can actually rely on that? Probably not, based on what we're seeing, because what you're seeing is that ChatGPT can kind of go down a rabbit hole and just make stuff up, right? So that's, right. that's a little scary. But let's just say, Keith, that in the next few years, ChatGPT starts, you know, again, it starts being able to um, understand nuances. It starts being able to, you know, articulate arguments and in fact not make up case law but find good case law Mm -hmm. that stands for certain propositions could there be a time for for example in small claims court in county court you know smaller matters right where people are just dealing with you know smaller disputes and maybe it's not worth hiring a lawyer at three to six to eight hundred dollars an hour yeah it's possible that we might see it sometime in the next five to ten years that maybe these you know, these types of applications could help the general public. And and by the way, if, if the judges start getting comfortable that the things that are being submitted are generally accurate, right? That things are not being just made up out of whole cloth, right? but the briefs that are being submitted or the arguments that are being submitted are in fact supported by, um, you know, controlling precedent. I could I can foresee a situation where judges might start accepting some of that and just understanding that hey there's not a lawyer spot checking but everybody's t- everybody's moving forward with the same risk you know where you see you could see in family court for example where there's lots of disputes about you know whether it's alimony or division of community property and the marital estate and so forth you know there's a lot of people going through divorces that can't afford high flying lawyers right, right they can't right. afford them. you know the, and and the marital estate is not such that it warrants hiring an, an army of lawyers. So, you know, that could be a resource um, for folks that are dealing with, unfortunately, divorces and so forth and things like that. 
I would say that on larger matters, more complicated matters, um, things that are certainly involved much more nuance and much more understanding of the complexity of the issues, I, I, it's hard for me to foresee a time when, you know, these types of platforms could actually be used to, you know, that parties wouldn't need lawyers and they could just represent themselves. I, I, I don't foresee that in larger and more complicated matters. Right, right. Now, there was another thing that we talked about uh, again before this, this, this show was uh, your concern over the possibility of trade secrets. Can you sort of get it? Because that's what your firm sort of deals in too, right, is, is some of those issues. What are your concerns about kind of AI and, and trade secrets? Yeah, so that's that's a really really good question because look here here's the issue. One of the things that we deal with a lot in in our litigation practice is the um, confidentiality of clients' trade secrets and or copyright works, intellectual property, things that belong to clients that are uh, proprietary and are very valuable yeah. to our clients. Right. So because ChatGPT appears to be so powerful and it appears to be able to gather up information that's all on the internet. Um, as we've said to many clients over the years, especially the last 20 years, um, as the internet has, has has grown, is that there's a lot less and less um, of secrets out there because there's so much information out in the public domain. So all of that being said, we can envision situations where you have a program like ChatGPT that maybe it takes works that are protected under copyrights or things that are trade secrets that belong to companies and it uses those in connection with either you know making an argument in the public domain or or in a filing actually exposes something and grabs something that otherwise was proprietary in nature because it's that powerful so i could see situations where if somebody's not careful and doesn't understand the, the complexity of intellectual property rights, for example, or trade secret rights, that if somebody starts pushing a button and uses ChatGPT and relies on ChatGPT and doesn't do the analysis to make sure that, uh, you know, A, the, the arguments are correct, the precedents are correct, but then more importantly on the topics of trade secrets, that there's no violations of people's trade secrets, that somehow that trade secret or that intellectual property isn't being misused in a way in a public forum, that could create exposure for the person using ChatGPT in, in that context. And, and you know, look, it can happen innocently. They may not know that that the information that's contained in something that ChatGPT put in a in a filing or in a document right. is protectable work. But they need to do the double check and make sure where did this information come from? You know, Let's use the basic example of the trade secret. The yeah. most famous trade secret is the formula to Coca-Cola. Right? Yeah, I was going to say that or the uh, KFC 11 original. Or KFC, right? right. Yeah. Either one, right? So imagine a scenario where somehow or another, ChatGPT was able, through its powerful algorithm, to locate the formula to Coca-Cola. Right. And and then, you know, some somebody who's using ChatGPT in some context you know, uses that formula in connection with whatever they're doing. And, you know, you can give yourself lots of scenarios. Has that person violated Coca-Cola's trade secret by using it and causing ChatGPT to gather that information? And then now that person starts using it. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Right. But, it, it, you know, obviously that that means that ChatGPT, we, we don't necessarily know exactly where it's getting its information for. 
uh, from. And so the person that, that innocuously may have put that formula out into the public would be in trouble, right? And that's that's what you're advising clients is make sure that whatever data you're putting out there into the public is 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 protected or or you're not putting out trade secrets on on those forums, right? Or that's yeah. right. So what what you're trying to look the moral of the story with all this stuff is, you know, and this is what we're telling clients is look, don't just press a button and have something spit out and print it out and then not review it and not read it and right. not do some due diligence, right? ChatGPT appears to be, you know, a, a, a wonderful software platform that can help you and it certainly can assist you. And we're seeing it, you know, not only in the practice of law, but obviously in other fields um, and obviously in, in college students are using it as a research tool. But you are seeing some some liter- some articles out there about students using it to actually just submit essays right in their classwork right. and relying on ChatGPT. So that starts creating some layers of complexity and problems for um, the professors who are getting this material and reviewing it. And and in our in our space, again, the point is don't just click buttons and spit stuff out and not review it and not read it. Right. Um, right. It's a great tool. It's a great resource. It might make your life a little easier. But you can't just press a button and rely on it. What are you hearing about uh, ChatGPT and some of these other AI tools that um, are being used in terms of hiring at, at companies? Is there still a concern? I, I know early on there was a concern about AI bias uh, in some of these decisions that were being made or, or you know, the use of, of AI within a hiring process. Right. Like, like if you're hiring for someone and you get a bunch of resumes, you scan the, the resumes. And, mm-hmm. um, and I know that there was some initial bias about who, who the the, the AIs we're picking is is that right. still a concern or have you felt like that the, the technology is sort of eliminated bias or is working on it? I mean, as best as I can tell, Keith, I mean it's still a problem, and, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you where the problem comes in. So you know, as we all know, we have all these federal and state laws that deal with hiring practices, okay. and employers have to be really careful that they're not somehow um, directly or indirectly discriminating against a protected class in connection with a hiring practice. So I haven't seen anything yet that suggests to me that ChatGPT fully, you know, at all, even is incorporates or includes in the analysis of pools of candidates, um, whether the candidates fit a particular demographic profile, whether they have any disabilities, whether they fall into an age group, whether they fall into some ethnicity. So what could happen if you're not careful as an employer if you're going to just rely solely on ChatGPT or some similar software to, you know, find a pool of candidates for you, um, I think you still, as an HR person, for example, um, or some executive vice president who's in charge of hiring, you still probably need to do some due diligence about who these people are, what demographics they fall into, are there any, are there any of these people that fall into protected classes that you have to then be careful about making sure you include them as part of the hiring practices because if the AI somehow excludes a group of folks that fall under a protected class, you as an employer might be susceptible to some claims uh, based on allegations of discriminatory hiring practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't think the AI is quite there yet. I still think it's it's an issue. So again, that's a great example of it can help you, 
it can certainly maybe cut down on some of the legwork. Right. But I don't think, again, you can solely rely upon it. You're going to have to do some due diligence with respect to that. Are, are clients coming to you with, with a lot of these questions about sort of like, oh, we, we, we want to use this tool. We want to use that tool. You know, what do you suggest or what should I be asking the developers of this tool or if they're developing it themselves? So, so we are getting some questions from clients in connection with the higher, I mean, specifically hiring practices, because that certainly one of the big costs that many of our clients have is the HR department and the HR department many times, especially for large institutional clients, mm-hmm. they're constantly dealing with people coming and going and, and, and needing to fill positions. So the chat GPT program and that software can be used to kind of make their jobs a little easier. But then the question then becomes, okay, what are we? What are the pitfalls, right? And we just covered a few of the pitfalls. Yeah, yep. You gotta make sure that if they're going on, for example, monster.com or zip recruiters, and it's gonna be used to call from one of those software platforms, some viable candidates, you're probably gonna wanna make sure that those viable candidates all, it's, it's kind of a diverse population of candidates, right? right? You wanna just make sure, you don't wanna make, you don't want to basically have, let's just say, 40 applicants that happen to be all white males under the age of 40. I mean, that, that's a recipe for disaster. Right. right? It means make sure that the pool is pretty diverse. And I don't think it's that hard to do that. I mean, I think you can you can certainly make sure that you have a diverse population of, of prospective candidates. And what I don't know the answer to, Keith, at the moment is, I don't know if you can use the the platform and maybe customize the platform such that, you know, if you get an initial pool that isn't diverse enough, can you then ask, you know, change the query? And I think you probably could, right? But I don't know firsthand, change the query to find pools of candidates that fall into a particular category, you know, ethnic minority over the age of 40, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can do that, then again, it might be again a good resource to help you in finding uh, prospective candidates that might be good, good viable. Right. Um, and- do you do you have um, you know either attorneys at the firm or other lawyers that you've talked to that that might just be like, oh, this AI stuff is either it's either a, a fad or a trend, or I'm 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 so concerned about all of these things that I don't want to use it at all. Do you get any of that, or are most people sort of um, curious and optimistic about the use of the technology? I, I think it's the latter, Keith. I think okay. it's mo- most people are pretty curious about it, pretty optimistic about it, and 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 I think are 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 anxiously, you know, kind of monitoring yeah. how it is developing and how it can be a useful tool in in their practices. So I, I really haven't heard too many people, you know, naysayers that think it's either a fad or it's going to go away, yeah. or you know, this is all just hooey and let's just let's just do things the old-fashioned way. At least not in my law firm. Okay, uh, but I guess my the point I wanted to make was that if people were not interested in using sort of ChatGPT and AI tools in in the use of their of their own legal work, they still should be uh, aware of this technology because. Um, People are suing OpenAI, and people are suing the companies that come out with this stuff. Where you know you've got issues of copyright and and defamation. I think there was a story the other day about you know ChatGPT defaming someone. Um, the interesting part of, uh, about the technology that I find is that every time you type in a prompt, the result that you get is unique. So you can never get the same you know 
the mm-hmm. same answer twice, which then begs the question of almost like liability if something goes wrong. Like, you know, obviously in, in the case where we were talking about with this lawyer that used the, you know, obviously he's liable for the response yeah. that chat, or could you argue that, well, chat GPT, you know, should be responsible or the, you know, who's responsible for some of the things that could go wrong. Like you, so issues of liability come up and, and it feels like attorneys should know about the, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, listen, it's the, the old saying, the buck stops here, you know, the buck stops with the lawyer. So you know, <laughs> if, if you're using the software, you're using it with all of the, the attendant risks that are going to be connected to it. So, you know, when you sign something as a lawyer, right, you file something in court, or you use a document in connection with a particular transaction, or you use a, a will that you got from the internet, right? And, it, and if you use that, your, your license is on the line. It's, your, it's really your, right. your name and your credibility. So no, I, I think ChatGPT really is not gonna be the responsible party. Ultimately, it's the human being that is behind using it and maybe using it in a careless fashion or more to the point, maybe a lazy fashion. You know, because again, to use the New York lawyer, it sounds like he just thought the brief looked great. The cases must be correct. He didn't do any <laughs> checking and he just filed it. And now he's facing the ire of a, of a judge who's probably going to sanction him pretty well. I, I love the fact that we keep coming back to this case, but it was, it was so amazing that the story came out. Um, it's remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. I, I, it's, it just, it just boggles my mind. Um, are you are you enthusiastic about the future of the technology though? It's like, could you see sort of AI lawsuits or lawsuits against AI piling up, piling up, piling up, where the technology then becomes less effective or not as um, exciting as it's been in the last? Because again, we keep referring to this as the Wild West. Is 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 the Wild West about to go away? Well, you know, here's the issue. You know, lawsuits. You know, people. Nobody likes lawsuits, right? But, but not, not even lawyers, Paul? <laughs> well, some, sometimes we like lawsuits. Okay. But yeah, the truth is, you know, lawsuits are problems, right? Lawsuits are problems that are your client's problems, either because you have to go sue somebody because there's a major dispute or you're being sued and you're representing a company. Yep. But lawsuits sometimes are, are helpful in the sense that they flush out issues and they li- and you're able to litigate issues and you're able to really get to the core of a problem. So. Yeah, there's going to be lawsuits in the AI context. And sure, we're seeing that now. But some of those lawsuits, in my mind, are probably going to help us all flush out some of the problems, some of the deficiencies, some of the weaknesses of AI, and, exp- and, and you know, really highlight that. And then, at the, and in turn, the programmers and the developers of AI, you know, are going to learn and they're going to refine the programs and they're going to continue to evolve the programs and develop the programs so that it, it, it continues to kind of grow and becomes more and more accepted and more and more credible. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the lawsuits are going to somehow truncate what's happening with AI. I think, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the the, the, the the horse is out of the barn. Right. I mean, it's it's out. Right. There's no way it's coming back in. Now the question is, what's it going to look like? How's it going to develop? And then, importantly, as we talked a little bit offline, what kind of regulations might be put in place to oversee some of this AI technology? Um, because you know we're seeing that now that there's discussions among you know Congress and, and and the Senate about figuring out 
what are what are the ways to regulate this and control it so that it doesn't you know run amok so to speak and and be, and create lots of exposure and lots of problems for society in general because again technology is great but it also can run amok and it can also be be a negative uh, detriment and negative yeah it does sound like you're you're a tech optimist uh around this around this this sort of technology if if you had to go in front of a judge who was skeptical like what would be your big argument for the the use of chat gpt even if it's you know use of it with guardrails would you be able to make so, that argument at this point or do you still want to wait and so, see well, you know, look, pr- probably more on the wait and see because I'm, I'm conservative by nature, but I am optimistic about it. Yeah. And, by, and by the way, I'm the least technical person around. <laughs> but that being said, I recognize what a what an advantage that type of a tool can give us so that we are, again, efficient with our time. Right. I mean, you know, again, going back to the example from 30 years ago, you know, we used to have to you know burn hours and hours and hours researching issues and plotting through books. I mean, our researching now is so much more efficient than it was 30 years ago. I can see where this AI is going to make our researching capabilities even that much more efficient. Right. So if if the project, you know, 30 years ago took us 10 hours to research and now through the current software programs without AI, it takes us two hours. AI might be able to, you know, help us knock it out in half an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and time is... Time is the key for us, you know, as lawyers, you know, everything that we do is about our time. Yeah. And if we can be more efficient and get great results for our clients, I'm all in favor of that. That's why I'm a tech optimist. Right, right. As long as that, as long as the cases that, they're, that this thing is giving you is are correct and, and real, right? Let, let's make sure they're actual cases. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. And speaking of time, I think we're out of time. Uh, Paul, thanks a, a bunch for being on the show with us today. Anytime, Keith. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, That's all the time we have for today's episode. Be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and add any comments you have below. Uh, Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.